Hello, and welcome to the Vulnerability Junkies podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jamie. On this podcast, we talk about the scary, vulnerable parts of our personal and professional growth, our identities as second-generation Asian Canadians, and talking about our feelings. For decades, Touchy Feely has been one of Stanford Business School's most influential and life-changing courses. In today's episode, we reflect on our experiences taking the Coachella of communication courses. Let's get into it. Hello. We have arrived. <laughs> We're back here now. We have arrived. How are you feeling today, Kevin? Woo! How am I feeling today? I'm physically like a five or a six. Just been a tiring week of lots of exercise and no rest days. So feeling a little bit physically. Emotionally, I'm like six as well. Six borderline seven. Feeling a little bit restless. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of like lots of things to like things to process hmm. now it's like they're mostly processed now i just need to go like do some work on yeah. both myself and also tactically go be productive so mm-hmm. restless yeah how are you i'm doing all right i think physically i'm at like a yeah like a four or five which kind of tired emotionally like a six or six and a half yeah i think i'm feeling pretty calm now and pretty warm had a day of just talking to a lot of people, but it was almost all in the form of very long walks in one-on-one conversations, which is like my absolute favorite form of communication. But I'm also just tired because I walked a lot and talked a lot. Yeah. It was like a good kind of tired, good conversations. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So. So we had like a really interesting experience uh, two weekends ago. Got to go down to Stanford, which is absolutely beautiful campus. And disgustingly beautiful. I know. It's it's like honestly unnecessary. The place just like <laughs> exudes money. Uh, and it was it was my first time doing a a like continuing education class there. And it, was it yours too? Yes. Ever, yeah. actually. Yeah. Nice. Outside of regular college. Right. So the the course we went through was called was called Touchy Feely. And then Kevin, you want to explain a bit about like what what the course is about and like why we went there? Yeah, so touchy-feely is the colloquial name. Um, The official name is Interpersonal Dynamics. It's a a course where you go to practice communicating, specifically with a focus on connecting and communicating emotions and and feelings. So this is a course that we've had multiple friends take, like 10 plus over the last many years. And it's always been highly recommended. People rave about it. And so it's been on our list for years now. And Finally, this year, 10 days ago, we decided to pull the trigger and, and give it a shot. So just to give brief context about the course, the way that it's structured is there's roughly 45, I think, or 55 students. Mm-hmm. We all get broken up into these groups of 11 students and two facilitators, and they're called T-groups. And what you essentially do is you sit with this group of 13 people for multiple sessions over the course of three days seven hours a day and you talk and it's just it the course creates this environment which encourages all the other people to share emotional and vulnerable things uh, in an environment where it's it's a safe to share those things and b where there's 
feedback is actively encouraged. Now, do you want to talk a bit about what that mechanism yeah, 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 is yeah. like? So like in most day-to-day conversation, especially if you're not, if you've never been exposed to this stuff before, people will just say stuff and then kind of guess at how the other person is feeling. If you're a little more tuned, you might kind of notice different facets of their body language. But in this environment, it's more encouraged to just ask directly, hey, like, when you heard that thing, how, how did you feel? For instance, um, one of the things that facilitators might actually do is, is like pause the interaction, slow things down, and then ask for that. So like if, if one person offers the other person a compliment, for instance, like, man, you seem really knowledgeable, then at that point, the facilitator might be like, all right, we're going to slow down for a second. And like, I want to ask when you heard that compliment, like you're really knowledgeable, how did that land for you? Like, how did you feel? Which is really interesting because it helps us actually learn from people's reactions. Uh, because oftentimes people, people's intent and like what they're trying to do in communication and its effect on the other person are like totally different. Because like most of the time when we offer compliments, our goal is to raise the other person's spirits. But like one of the things that, that came up during one of my sessions and it happened to be in other environments too, is sometimes when you compliment someone, it can land poorly for them because they're not just hearing what's in the compliment, they're hearing what element of them you've chosen to highlight. Uh, so that's like one specific example, but it's not just compliments. It's like any kind of social interaction, the facilitators might slow down what was going on and then give different people the opportunity to explain what was happening for them emotionally as it was coming up to allow everyone in the group to learn about the effects of different actions in, in interpersonal dynamics, which is just like, you know, kind of our jam. Um, yeah. So uh, I kind of know like why I chose to go but like, what was, what was the major draw for you? Like that made it so many messages saying like, hey, Kevin, you want to sign up for this? You're like, yes, let's go. I think for me, I was just really excited to have an environment to train, to practice yeah. these skills that we care so deeply about. I miss the, the concentrated, like, like practice training ground. Feels like kind of like going into the hyperbolic time chamber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for all of you Dragon Ball Z fans out uh -huh. there. It definitely felt like going into a different, like, little world for a little bit where everyone was just there to help me improve in a way. Not just me, but um, like you were saying, where this environment where you can slow down the conversation, you can pause, you can ask people how it's landing, you can observe how other people communicate challenging topics, how they... Mm react in situations where they're feeling scared or hurt or excited and how they express those things. And also a side effect of being able to slow down conversations and pause is also this redo mechanism, which fully completes that feedback loop you were talking about. Yeah. And that system just doesn't exist in regular life. Normally, if you're having a conversation with someone on the street, you can't just be like, can I say that again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People are like, wait, what? Um, so yeah, I just was really excited to get into an environment where I could like really intentionally train again. Yeah. Yeah. And also like connect with people fundamentally, just like a, a weekend that we love connecting. I love connecting. You, you do so, really like, like your people. I like people, but you like really like people. Yeah. 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 I specifically like having those like deep connecting conversations with the people. So it's yeah. like a weekend of like seven to nine hours a day surrounded by strangers who I know nothing about 
only that they want to be able to connect deeply with other people sounds yeah. like a great use of time. So, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I definitely agree that, like, I miss this kind of environment as well. Like, we both experienced this going through the relating between the lines course that we both did online. And I think similar to that environment, the tools that we were given are really useful, but there's something about experientially being in an environment of practice that's that's really different. It's it's kind of like the difference between reading a book and like doing a project that requires the knowledge. You should answer the question too, though. Like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you excited about? So yeah, I think, yeah, I was excited about the, the feedback environment. I was also just really interested to know what it would feel like to go into an environment like this that in many ways has very little structure and with total strangers. Because like, uh, when we say that it's just like a bunch of people sitting in a circle talking, the facilitators will occasionally break in to slow things down, but they like don't kickstart it. They, like everyone just gets into the circle. You sit in silence. The facilitators don't go first. And they just wait for things to arise and just see what comes up. So I knew ahead of time that that would be the rough idea of it. And I think, I guess, I guess I kind of like experimenting. I kind of like being in these social experiments. And I'm just like generally motivated to hone my communication skills. And I think the thing that you said about going into this environment where everyone has this intention to connect, I think really shapes a really cool environment where it's both like, I get the training. So like the, the growth oriented part of my brain gets all fired up and happy but then I also get the connection so like the the more feelsy part of my brain also kicks off and being like ah oh, yeah like people connection growing together this is the best so it was just a bunch of things stacked up together it was also wild to see that the class sold out in less than five minutes oh yeah I was like running around telling everybody that like this was the equivalent of like snagging Coachella tickets like we had to wake up literally at like 8 a.m., got to our computers and waited for the quote unquote drop was at 8.30. So we sat there refreshing just so we like made accounts in advance and everything. And I think it took us maybe three to five minutes to fill out the application form and go through the full flow, put in your credit card information, pay for everything. I think by the time we had clicked submit, we refreshed the page again and it was sold out. Like, yeah, these tickets flew. So, yeah, it was uh, a testament, I guess, to the to the popularity of it. And then they had a wait list as well. I remember getting an email about people getting off the wait list. So, yeah, very, very popular course. Yeah. Multiple people that I talked to said that they, they signed up for this because they saw someone post on social media being like, this course was life-changing. And people were like, all right, well... That's a pretty strong endorse for yeah. a weekend course. 100%. We had people, some folks flew in um, from other parts of North America, and then we also had someone flying from Europe. And then, hilariously, I think at least a third of our class also was there because they had a significant other that had taken the course. Yeah. And they were, well, I don't know if they were asked or nudged or whatever, but they, <laughs> their reason for going was... I had a significant other take this course and they really enjoyed it, so. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, after being through the course, I can understand why if you were having some, like, emotion communication friction with your partner, you'd be like, huh, it would be real nice if you take this course. I think you'd really like it. That's so funny. <laughs> I think communicating that in and of itself is an interesting challenge, right? How do you say that without yeah. coming off 
like passive aggressive or like backhanded compliment kind of thing. Right, right. And it's it's a kind of a funny thing because if both of you had already taken the course, I think it would be really easy to communicate that thing. Yes. But absent those tools, it would be pretty awkward. Yeah, it could it definitely be, yeah. requires some skill to navigate. So, yeah. Well, I mean, should we get into learnings? Uh, yeah, there's actually some things that like I wanted to to ask about just because like, so for context, uh, we were not in the same group. Yeah. It was very intentional that like every group yes. was totally strangers. Yes. I explicitly said, don't put me in a group with Jamie. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there's actually like a, in the sign up form, there's a box where you can just fill it out and say like, who do you know in this group? And then we both put like the other person and explicit like, don't put me in the same group so that we can have very different experiences here. So the, aside from this time spent in these T groups, which was most of the time, there were these little activities before and after, sometimes between the T groups that I think were also really interesting in their own right. So like, I think that the way to introduce people to each other was one of the most effective ways I've ever seen. I guess this is like a common thing from improv games where we stood, we stood around and like there was a, a stuffed toy and then we would say our name and then throw it to someone else and then they, then they would say their name uh, and they would say the person that they just received it from. So we throw it around that for a while and then to make it more chaotic, they would add, add more stuffed animals into the mix. And it was really amazing to see after five minutes, I like actually knew everyone's name, which is astounding to me. So that was a really cool way to remove barrier one of like, I know nothing about this person. And then I think the second barrier that came down was uh, a way where every person had a very brief conversation with every other person. So I think you, you described this as speed dating, right? Yeah, we were set up in, in this like conveyor belt, circular yeah, like conveyor belt kind of situation where you would be facing one person. You'd have each have 30 seconds to answer the question each. And then the conveyor belt would rotate and you'd be paired. You'd be now facing a different person. And then we did this until everyone talked to everybody. Yeah. So how was that for you? It was good. It just felt, I just, every conversation I was, I want more. Because <laughs> you, <laughs> you get like, the, the questions are all pretty deep. They're like pretty, they encourage deep connecting conversation. Mm. And so you viscerally feel I have scratched the surface of this. And oftentimes, the, and I think this is the point, by the way, to get to kind of, this is the first activity you do before you go into your first T-group session. I think the, it's to give you fodder or like ideas for yeah. other conversation and to get you interested and excited about connecting with the people in your group. And yeah, for me, it definitely cool? did that. Yeah. 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 I think uh, I'm trying to remember some of the questions. Like one of the questions I remember was, what's an emotion you have a difficult time expressing? Do you remember any, do you remember any of the other ones? I don't remember the questions. I remember answers. Ah, gotcha. That, that stick out. Yeah. One answer that sticks out to me was somebody told me that the partner that they were seeing was like the like the perfect poster child that any Asian parent would want. Mm. And that they were the opposite of that. Well, yeah. Like that kind of like it just feels like a mic drop and you're like, man, I wanna I wanna get more into that, but now but we're out of time. Like already so 30 seconds is up already. Like that kind of stuff. And just it sticks with you, right? Like yeah. even now. It's it's kind of a good like conversational tease. So that they're yeah. like once the group forms afterwards into the circle, for every single person, you're like, ah, like there's there's like I have a feeling towards you now, not just you are a blank slate person. Yeah. So I, re I really like those activities. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did, what was like the initial spark that lit up the first conversation for, 
for your group. So, okay, I guess another bit of context. It's explicit that the contents of the conversations are, co are confidential. So we're going to have to be like a little bit hand wavy for some parts of this. But I wonder if you can talk about in the abstract, like what, what like kickstarted the first conversation. Right. We talked a little bit about this. Like my, my group was like very firecrackery. I think our, what started us off was like an immediate conflict. Like the, the first or second interaction was immediately, there was like notable discomfort. People were like, what is happening right now? And then we had to immediately go into like breaking that situation down, like doing a lot of, a lot of listening, a lot of like immediately slowing everything down, breaking out like, yeah, how is this landing for people? How do people feel about this? How do we want to proceed? And it was kind of like immediately all the skills are coming into play. There was no like gradual warm up. We just like went into it, which was super intense. Uh, yeah, that was kind of the tone for the, that definitely set the tone for our group. And later on, the facilitators reflected that like our group just like, we just went in and we stayed at that level of like emotional intensity. The flavor of the emotions changed. Um, throughout the course of the hours, but it stayed at that level of intensity the entire time. Like we just like, just floored it from like the first 15 minutes in. I definitely remember sitting there and being pretty uncomfortable as someone who's very like averse to conflict for the first 15 to 30 minutes. But at the same time, I'm, I was also like, man, this is exactly what I'm here for. So I think we just sorted it out. There was a lot of outspoken people in my group. A lot of people who were, I would say on the, the more disagreeable spectrum, if you're familiar with the, the big five factor personality model in yeah. psychology, people who are very assertive and not afraid to speak their mind. So it was also interesting to see how people like handle those situations, right? Because mm. there's both the discomfort of being in an environment, but also the people who are engaging in it. Obviously it's like not, it doesn't feel good to know that you're, you are the one causing the conflict. And so it was also interesting to see how people dealt with that situation that for me, when what I, I think most people had some instance of causing discomfort for other people. Mm. I definitely did as well. And when I was in, I don't know that the hot seat, I guess, of having, having negatively impacted somebody, it definitely was a lot of guilt, a lot of regret, a lot of like sadness and disappointment in myself. And I think everyone dealt with that in a, in a, in a different way. And watching that was also very interesting. Oh. Um, when you notice yourself yeah. feeling that way, when you're feeling the, the guilt and disappointment coming up, I'm, I'm just guessing that you communicated that. Did you? Yeah. I was able to directly interface to the person with the person that I had hurt. And we had yeah. a, we had a very, what I would say, good, very detailed, in-depth, precise conversation about what I had communicated, what they were hearing, how that was landing for them, why that, why it landed for them that way. I got to clarify my intentions, um, and also all, also get to the root of why they were feeling the way that they were feeling. Mm. And ultimately I was able to apologize mm. for the way that I had come off in that interaction. Mm. Yeah. It was very intense for sure. But yeah. And then after you apologize, were they able to, I'm just trying to picture in my head, like how this loop fully resolved. I'm asking in part because one of the things that. I left the weekend with is this idea that comfort in conflict comes from confidence in repair. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you actually went through a loop of repair in this dynamic where 
you discovered that something you had said or done negatively impacted someone else, were able to experience disappointment in yourself and guilt, and then had the other person hear that. So I want to learn more about what that whole repair cycle looked like for you, both in terms of the things you said, but also like what was happening emotionally for you in the process. Right. To close the loop, I was able to ask for impact at the very end. Mm. And they told me that they no longer felt the pinch, oh. no longer felt that animosity is a strong word, but negative feelings. I think in the moment, it just felt like getting hit by like a, a wall of bricks. Yeah. When we first, when I first discovered or was made aware of the fact that I had this negative impact on somebody, that was very much the op. I actually, that was very much the opposite of my intention. My intention in saying what I said was actually be, to be supportive of this person. Mm. So you can imagine that it's actually maximally impact, like like that. Yeah, I don't know, like the 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 bricks hit me at maximum velocity, kind right. of, because I had expected it to land very well, and in fact, it landed very not well. So. Yeah, I w it was very overwhelming in the moment, but I was able to kind of stay calm, I guess, and not just freak out or be overwhelmed with the, the negative emotions or like jump towards just profusely apologizing. Mm. I was, I felt centered in the moment, so I was able to really own the, okay, I should first really understand where this is coming from, where the disconnect is, hear them out and understand before... And then say my piece as well in terms of, um, I guess, explaining or like I had to resist the urge to like defend myself kind of. Yeah. But in the moment, it actually, it actually partially because the environment was so safe, that urge to defend myself didn't actually come up nice. very viscerally. I was also encouraged to vocalize my emotions. And that also really helped slow me down as well. Mm the facilitator was able to see that this was a, a, a moment and slow me down as well and cued me to start my response by labeling my emotions first, which right. actually set me up for success throughout the entire engagement. Because once I recognized what those, once I took the time, was given the space to label those emotions, it really helped guide what I wanted to do next uh, or what, yeah, or how I wanted to, what I wanted to ask, what I wanted to say. And this is like a little bit of a tangent, but in the past when I've felt and been in these moments of feeling really guilty, it's always interesting to me that there's, it, there tends to be a really long delay between when I get hit with the emotion and when I realize, oh, I, what I'm really feeling is I want to apologize. Mm. And there's literally like in moments where I've had these types of conversations, it'll be like 30 or 40 minutes into talking Whoa. about what's went wrong, how are you feeling before, and like me explaining myself before I realized, oh, wait, I want to say I'm sorry. Yeah. And, you know, because it, I don't know, part of my brain just is like, okay, you, if you do something wrong, you apologize. Like it feels so natural, but in practice, when the feelings of guilt have been so overwhelming, it's like, it takes some time to come up. And I just remember in this interaction that instead of it being more, instead of it being like 30 or 40 minutes, it was maybe like three. So I was really happy about that, being able right. to take the space to really slow down and really feel things and then get to that realization much faster. Do you think that the process of labeling those emotions was an important part of that acceleration going from that 30 minute before the realization that you want to apologize down to the three? Oh, 100%. Because when the, when, like the moment when the bricks hit you, it, you just kind of, you, you feel this overwhelming just like dread and it's like, it's overwhelming. You can't feel anything, but oh my gosh, I have messed up. Like, yeah. uh, 
But when you stop to like dissect it out and you're like, oh, it's, I'm feeling guilt, self-disappointment, judging myself, feeling like some sadness, some care for the other person. When you break it down like that, I just calm down. And I'm like, okay, I understand what these things are. And now I can like speak to each of them or ask myself in that moment, which emotion do I want to speak to the most? Which pulling me the most? I can have that frame of mind to engage with them versus this big amorphous blob of feelings. And then you're just like, well, I don't know how to contend with any of this because it just feels like one big blob of bad. Yeah. 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 I think I've also found that when I'm feeling overwhelmed, it's usually because there's many different emotions happening concurrently and that disentangling them does tend to ease the intensity and let me process them one by one. The other thing I wanted to ask in that interaction was after the person said, that they didn't feel animosity towards you and it, sound, it sounded like they were quite resolved and they felt like settled. Did that immediately cause the the guilt in you to recede or was there actually still a period where it was still sitting with you even after the other person said they were fine? It definitely had like a wearing off effect. It didn't like immediately go away. But I would say within like an hour or so, I was feeling okay oh, about it. But still a while. Yeah, I think it takes a while to like dissipate for sure. It's like a, a very gradual, it's like a reverb, I guess. It's like the echo takes some time to die off. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a bit of shock. Definitely a bit of shock that I had to like, whoa, like I am capable of having the best of intentions, trying to be very intentional in my words. I've like worked, this is a, a skill that I've worked on for a long time. And there is a case where I can maximally mess up, where I go in like, this is going to land great. I'm being supportive. And then actually what you hear is the exact opposite. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. So I think that that stuck with me for a little bit, right? There's this thought of like, wow, can I mess up like this in the future? Mm. And it's kind of like, yes. But then to your original, one of your original points, there is a lot of comfort in knowing, and this is maybe my fourth or fifth time now, being in like an, what I would classify like an intense conflict like this. And it's, it's good to know that you can come back from it. But also that conflict can also be ver- a very good source of connection in and of itself. Right. So you can recover, but you can connect even more deeply with the person through conflict as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it, is, really, it is really tragic knowing that sometimes we can have the best intention and have a really negative effect on someone else. And a nice thing about this environment is you actually get to process that fully and then like get closer to aligning the ultimate impact with your intention by by like making it by communicating the intention by owning the fact that the way you communicated it was not effective and it's kind of tragic that in a lot of day-to-day situations you don't get that opportunity sometimes you don't even know sometimes you think that you had the positive intention you just assume that that was how it landed on them it's not and you never find out and then the person just like feels a little salty towards you forever whereas processing it allows that negative energy to dissipate and to your point going through the emotional labor of the conflict can in some situations be very bonding because it, it it's a way of demonstrating to each other that you care enough to resolve because it's it, it is kind of work to get to that resolution point yeah for sure i'm also very curious though you were in a totally different group yes very different how actually you told me that your your group had much much more this is so it's just so classic that I would have the group that just goes right into the deep end and you would have the group that more gradually eases into it. I'm curious, like, yeah, what were your, what were some, some stretch moments for you or, or key takeaways that stick out to you? Yeah, th- there was way less 
fiery intensity between people in my group. There was really heavy emotions. Like, it's still kind of wild to me to recognize that this group of 13 strangers that starts off with conversation on the level of like, I'm feeling a little nervous, gets all the way into people's like, this is the biggest thing I'm struggling with life right now in the span of like a couple hours. I think probably like of the 13 in the group, probably like four or five, including me cried at some point, which is, yeah, it's just really intense. And a thing that I think I've come to appreciate over time is it's not just the content. Like our entire bodily reaction is so attuned if we let it to other people's bodily reaction and like way of expressing the tone of voice, the position of their body, tremors in their voice, that if you focus too much on content, you lose all of that really important information. So yeah, the, the general variety of emotional intensity in my group was much more sadness and processing, processing of like different forms of loss or different forms of like confusion or disconnection. And sometimes some of the, the more things that edge towards conflict where people not feeling seen or occasionally being seen for like the wrong reasons. They would, they would get compliments or comments on facets of how they were presenting themselves where they're like eventually revealed, hey, that's not how I want to be known. So I think it was just really interesting over time becoming more attuned to different emotional people's response, sorry, different emotional responses from people, but also more directly confronting the stories that I found myself telling about people. That like, I think that we all just carry a lot of biases whenever we meet anyone new, but it's rare that we get the chance to know someone well enough to understand how wrong the stories are. And it's especially rare being able to do that in two days. So for some people, like the things that I would have assumed would be important to them or would be on their mind based on how they outwardly presented and like what they eventually revealed was important to them were totally different and it really significantly changed my perception of them. And it was really interesting watching that happen in real time. So yeah, very different flavor than immediate conflict. I'm curious though, is there, um, is there a specific interaction that you were part of that sticks out? I think the one that sticks moment? out for me was someone was trying to offer me advice and this was near, this was near the end of the session. So this is, I actually had already built up like a feeling of connection with this person, deep trust. I'd seen this person repeatedly demonstrate really deep care for other people and a willingness to be vulnerable about their own, their own life circumstance. So when they gave me this advice, I knew that it was coming from a positive place, but I still felt like angry. Um, and I felt angry because advice was being given that was not asked for. I didn't ask for advice for this. And because the way it was being presented sounded to me like an assumption that I hadn't already tried the things that they were suggesting that I had, it was an assumption that I had like talked about a problem, um, but hadn't really done anything to try to address it. And I told them that, and I told them that like, I can feel the care coming from you. I know this is coming from a good place, but this is landing really poorly for me. And like, I feel annoyed. Um, and the other person was taken really aback, but because, because they came from this very caring place and because we already had the trust built up, we were able to work through it and I was able to reassure them like, hey, like I, I definitely feel the care and I, I know that this is coming from a good intention and I explained why it was landing poorly for me. And then having them, having them apologize did cause me to settle down. But the I thing that I've learned about myself that's really frustrating is that like once the fire of emotion gets kicked up, specifically anger, even if the, the inciting incident leaves, it just stays with me. It feels like someone like lit a bunch of, of, uh, of like paper in my stomach and just like launch into flame. And then the match is gone. 
but it just takes a while to simmer down, even if no more fuel is added. And it's frustrating when this happens for me because I don't want to be angry. Like, anger is a useful emotion to indicate when things are important to you or when, it, when there's injustice. But it's frustrating that when, when the inciting thing is both removed and unlikely to happen again, that the fire still takes a while for me to, to, to settle down. So when you're talking about, for instance, the feeling of guilt lingering for about an hour after, I think that anger for me, this, this like feeling, this burning feeling in my stomach and my chest, that similarly took about an hour to, to kind of simmer down. Ooh. Yeah, I think the, I mean, there's definitely a common trend there. I think the, these emotions just take a little time to process, mm. especially in your case where it sounds like a little bit of baggage there. Yeah. We know, I know this because we talked about it. But yeah, I feel like just specifically on that note, right? It, it's like what I'm hearing is that you no longer felt any annoyance towards this other per this person specifically. Right, right, right. After you cleared it, all the other emotions that it brought up still kind of like lingered a little bit around after that. And you're kind of like, uh, man, this shouldn't be bothering you anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, I did not feel the emotion stopped being directed. It stopped being like, you did this, which is rarely, I think, the right response. Um, so the tension between me and the other person felt diffused, and it was just in me. Like, I just, like, I feel angry. I'm not angry at you. I just feel anger. Um, mm -hmm. And internally, I was like, all right, settle down. Like, but the little fire was like, no. Like, I've, <laughs> I've been lit up. I'm a burnout until I'm done. So it was just, it just took its, its sweet time. But the, the thing that I wish I had, I had found like a better way of doing is I did reassure them that I was okay. But I think that even about like an hour afterwards, they checked in with me again to say like, hey, like I kind of feel like I, I like burned a bridge here. And I just, like, I just reassured them like, no, 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 no. Like it was, it was like, I, I shared this because I felt safe sharing this with you. Um, and I know that this is like a, a specific, a specific like button for me that gets pushed sometimes. But I wish I, in the moment, I had a way of like really fully reassuring them and saying like, hey, I still feel this way. It was like in result of something that, that you did, but that doesn't mean it's your responsibility. And uh, I just need a little time and then like, we're good. And I think that what I just said, like I would have been better than I communicated at the time, but I still don't know if it's like enough. You know, like I don't really know how to communicate this thing where right after I have conflict with someone, like I needed to say my piece. I needed to explain why I was upset. I want the other person to acknowledge what they did. But then after that, I wish I could, I could just be like, I'm not good now, but I assure you I will be. And have the other person really trust that. And I still haven't figured out how to really complete the repair loop in a way that feels like it's truly, truly done. I'm hearing one more aspect of that too, which is like the, 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 this part, this state, the intermediate state of I'm not okay, but I will be. You also want to communicate that that is also not your fault. Right. I think for me, the, the meta kind of really messes me up because I worry about if I tell you this, then you'll continue to feel guilty, even though yeah. at this point, it's actually really not you. Trust me, it's not you. It's, it's I have stuff to deal with. It's yeah. kind of my own baggage. It's not you. Yes, you brought it up, but you had no way of knowing. I don't blame you for bringing it up. It's yeah. just, you know, there, but it, it almost feels inevitable that in these situations, the other person like they're if they're a compassionate human sounds like they really are like if i was in their shoes i would still feel bad for bringing up this for yeah. triggering you in a way right so it's so tricky and the another interesting part of the the weekend was intention setting so going in and saying like these are the specific things i have a hard time with that i want to work on so one of mine was i want to get better at expressing negative emotion oftentimes 
even in settings like this that are constructed, when I notice I'm feeling a negative certain way, I will, I will like try to suppress that emotion or I'll second guess it, or I will recognize that it's like a thing coming up that's mostly a me thing, not like the other person thing. I'll be reluctant to express it in part because I'm afraid of conflict. Uh, so that's, this is one way that that was like an intentional push for me. I'm like, all right, this is not fun to communicate, but I need practice. I need practice both giving and receiving anger and being okay with that. It was still a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. So what were your intentions going into where your, your, um, your learning goals or your intentions going into your T groups? Mine, I had two, they kind of evolved over the course of the, of the weekend. My first one was a variant of answer the question. Oh yeah. Which is one of my cues for this podcast actually. But what happens is I tend to have a lot of ideas come up. Lots of threads will like, I don't know, you'll say something and I'll have like, oh, there's three things that are catching my interest. Yeah. And I've, they're precious to me because I, I view them as independent opportunities for connection. I don't want to lose them. You know, for example, when you were just sharing your, your struggle there, there were like three things that came up for me. Yeah. And I was like, do I want to move on from this topic? Or like at one point you had also talked about like that you're still scared of things. I'm like, oh, do you want to pull on that one? Or do yeah. I want to, you know, now take up space myself, right? And one malpractice could be to like just say all those things. Yeah. And through the first day of the T group, what I, I got pretty consistent feedback that when I do that, it's overwhelming. Mm. It turns out that the other person only has so much bandwidth to hold on to these threads. And it basically is like one at a time. If you try to stuff three topics into that one space, it tends to suffocate each individual thought. And what I learned in practice is there's a, there's a power in picking one and then just giving that one chunk of conversation the full space to like be explored. And so that was feedback I got really early on, hmm. uh, which is kind of a profound learning as I'm sharing it now. Um, and yeah, that was my focus for the first day. Just like pick one. It's painful because each of them are interesting in different ways, but I was like, I have to prioritize. Pick the one that you think is the most interesting at this moment, and then just go with that. That was my focus for the first day. Um, right, so it's, it sounds like you really want to hold on to all these precious gems that someone else is sharing, but in the process of trying to do that, it actually complicates the conversation, makes it harder for other people to, to really say fully engage with everything. So choosing one of those tracks ultimately ends up being more connected, even though it doesn't like fully process all of the different threads that you could have gone down. Yeah, you have to make active trade-offs. Like you don't get to explore all the things, which sucks, to be honest, because <laughs> each thread in these deep connecting conversations seems so interesting and yeah, really high potential of connecting. Mm. But just realizing that you can't be greedy. Like you, if you're greedy, yeah. then you end up suffocating each of them. You only like half explore each of them and you don't really get to the, go the full, fully explore the emotions and the things that come up and, and realizing that was pretty powerful that I was doing myself and the topic at hand and the other person a disservice right. by trying to squeeze all of it, all of it in. So Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. In, I mean, that sounds like a great example of situations where ultimately the intention is so good. The intention is like helping the other person feel fully seen, really wanting to connect with them, really wanting to validate that you're like really interested in all these different facets of what they're sharing. 
But in the process, sometimes the impact, despite the amazing intent, is like, oh man, I'm just tired now. Like, it's a lot of information. Like, I'm kind of overwhelmed. Whereas having the single track is just like, all right, yeah, like this, this just feels like less overhead, less complexity to hold in my head at one time. Uh, like a, a related thing that a related thing that came up for me that I thought was really interesting in, in this circle dynamic, I think that different people at different times became like super aware of the fact that someone had spoken up before and hadn't been able to complete what they were trying to say because the conversation moved away from them. And it was really hard to fully focus on the conversation because something in the back of my head being like, ah, like this person, I know they want to say something. I know they've been waiting really patiently for like 20 minutes to say their piece. So whenever the conversation would try to bounce in a new direction, me or someone else would be like, hold up, like this person's been waiting really patiently. I'd love to hear what they have to say. And this connects to me because it's not that like whoever is directing the conversation in a new direction is being unkind or that like I'm not interested in what they have to say. It's just that there's this other thing that's pulling at me that I'm having a hard time letting go. Uh, where and I think that that might be a similar situation where you're sharing like these like three different things that you heard that are all exciting to you. And then the person in trying to respond is also like spending, using part of their brain to think about the other two things you said, which makes it harder for them to like really fully engage with the, the thing that you think is most important. So that's all to say that like, I think that simplicity in conversation actually facilitates connection in a lot of cases uh, and facilitates like one thing feeling fully processed rather than having to hold all of these different things in your head at once. Exactly. It also lets me stress out less. I yeah. spend a lot of time stressing out about, oh man, all these three things seem good. I got to remember all of them for later. Right. It's like, no, I just let them go. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is interesting patterns and behaviors that are like hard to let go of. Like one that I think this is much easier for me now in most situations when like I notice I have something to say and then the conversation just moves on. I think earlier in life, I would have held on to it like a little bit harder and be like, ah, I like, really want to say this thing. Whereas now I very consciously notice myself holding on to that, notice the conversation moved on, I'd be like, just let it go. And I think similarly, if there was like multiple threads of conversation that were interesting to me, I will try to be like, all right, just let, let those ones go. As long as I don't believe that those two things are actually something that someone else really feels strongly about sharing, if it's just like my own curiosity causing me to latch onto them, I'll really try to just put it aside and be like, all right, we're having one good conversation right now. I don't need to have six in parallel. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you have um, any other intentions? for the weekend or yeah, was it primarily the, that one aside from expressing negative emotion the other one i shared explicitly was bringing levity into serious topics and this is just a thing that i've seen really effective communicators do so so skillfully where they'll bring levity to an intense topic with downplaying how serious it is for them so for instance uh i think that well, okay, for, for me, for instance, a topic I was talking about that was really serious for me was just talking about cultural identity struggles. And it's a heavy topic for me, but I think that there's ways in which I can still bring levity to it. Some of that is just like bring energy. You know, it's very different saying like, yeah, like this is a thing that honestly has been on my mind for a really long time versus this is like a thing that's been on my mind for a really long time. Like they're, they're both same content, different energy to them. And the other thing is just like finding opportunities to, to kind of make jokes at my own expense. You know, so I said, like, you know, it, it kind of sucks, like, once a month having someone, like, really emphatically emphasize, like, whoa, you're half Chinese, you look totally white. And then, and then I would be like, yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not confused. I can see myself in the mirror. Like, I get it. 
And then I, I noticed I was able to bring levity into that. And I noticed that people in the room were able to relax because of that. But that's like not a, an automatic habit for me. And I know some people where it is. And I noticed that when they do that, I feel really connected to them because I, I can see that they don't take everything in life super seriously, but they also don't like deflect, which I think is like a really hard balance to strike because it also would be easy to brush it off and make it seem like it's not a big deal for me. But the thing I want to do is this is a big deal. Also, I can laugh at myself for this. So that was the balance I was trying to strike, which I, I like made some strides. There was times when I would actually catch myself in explaining something almost like in like a frown. And I would like intentionally like change my tone of voice. I would intentionally try to brighten up a little bit to help the message land for other people and allow them to engage it in a way that wasn't purely caretaking for me. Do you give yourself like a... A B plus for that one? Yeah, I think, I think like, like a, it's like a B, like a B. Like there was <laughs> like clear effort, clear room for, for further improvement. Did not like, you know, crush it, but it also was not like a, I didn't, I didn't like mail it in. Okay. And poor card's still looking pretty solid there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First did, one was definitely an A. Did not need to like, uh, like scratch it out and then write over it and then like forge a parent signature. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You would give yourself an A for the first one, though. I, I think so. Like, I don't remember any situations where I actually was clearly feeling negative emotion that I didn't express. Okay. Like, I was able to express disconnection and explain why I was able to express anger. I was able to express sadness. Sadness is usually relatively easy for me. Disconnection and anger are way harder for me to express. So those were the ones that felt like more of a push. But I think, yeah, like those I'm pretty proud of because I took every opportunity that I had to do it. Nice, man. Yeah, how would you grade yourself on yours? I think my first one on focusing, I mean, I got called out for it. I don't know if I get a mark for that one. But after I set the explicit intention, I think I would give myself at least an A-. minus Because I got feedback from everyone being like, yes, you are focused now. Focused! You are saying only one idea at a time, not listing three. I would literally do that, by the way. I would start, I would say... Yeah. Three things are coming up for me and list them all out. <laughs> yeah. And people are like, what? That, that's too much. Pick one. <laughs> so I stopped doing that. So yeah, I thought, I thought I executed pretty clearly on that one. My other intention was to, I think I phrased it literally as dancing. I, I was like, I want to dance more between like this mode where I'm just strictly listening and this mode where I'm taking up space and sharing. It's roughly the difference between holding space for somebody else in a conversation and really being inquisitive, listening, asking questions, and being vulnerable myself with them by sharing parts of, of myself. And I tend to be pretty binary between the two. I can mm. do them separately, but it's a little more of a craft to like weave parts of yourself into the conversation while you focus, right? It's easier to be like 100% listening versus 100% sharing. But the feedback I got was that it's very disconnecting yeah. to only listen. Because then it's, it's as if a lot of feedback I got was like, it's like I'm talking to my therapist. Ah. <laughs> Which yeah. they're like, I don't want to talk to my therapist. I want to talk to you. Like, yeah. who are you? Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of people in my group expressed to me that I just didn't know who they were talking to, even though I was doing a great job holding space for them mm. from their feedback. But 
yeah, just realizing that like in order for you to have a conversation, you actually have to say things as well as listen. That's, that's how conversations work. It's two people talking. So yeah, I got to experiment with that as well uh, on my last day, kind of dancing throughout, like playing specifically around with different like ratios roughly. Yeah. Because of the world where like my focus is to hold space for you. Mm -hmm. But then now knowing this, like in order to connect with you more deeply, I know I need to share a bit about myself, right? But there's a balance there of like, I don't want to take over the conversation, mm -hmm. but I want to give you something enough that makes you feel connected with me so that it doesn't feel like I'm interrogating you or you're the only one sharing, yeah. right? So there's kind of this weird in-between where it's, you can be like 75% listening and 25% sharing, right? <laughs> but then there's also the other way around where you yeah. can go 75% sharing, but then you also want to listen to the other person a little bit. So that was the dance. I was playing around with different ratios of that while I was having connecting conversations with people. And yeah, at the end of the weekend, we did like a check-in on, on these goals that we set. And we basically went around and everyone had to say whether or not they felt like they had accomplished their goal. Yeah. And I said that I did accomplish yeah. this dancing goal. And like three other people in the group were like, yes, you totally did. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is very affirming. Thank you that you noticed this as well. So yeah, I thought I did solid on that one as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool that it wasn't just about I want to do more listening or I want to do more sharing. It was like, I want to learn how to fine-tune the balance between these things and have them intermixed. So I also really like the framing of dancing. Also, I giggled really hard when you started literally dancing in your chair as you were explaining <laughs> that. But um, I do think that it's, it's a thing that I have noticed over time in just observing interpersonal dynamics that like both of these failure modes are really real and that's that some people have a really strong tendency to just like talk purely about themselves. I think it's like that one's pretty universally understood that if you do that, you look super self-centered. But I think that people don't as frequently recognize that purely asking questions also is kind of disconnecting for exactly the reason you said of like, okay, like, you know, I'm down to keep talking about myself, but like, who are you? Like, give me something here so that I can connect. And it feels like I'm not talking to a therapist. I'm not talking to someone like a journalist, like I wanted to understand like what, where is our common ground? Like what common experiences do we have? Or like what, what, even what different experiences do we have so that I understand the context of the conversation? Um, the thing that I'm realizing from listening to you talk about this is it's not just like, those are two failure modes of, of like self-centered person never asks any questions and interrogator. But like, I hadn't thought as much about this third failure mode where you're not actually explicitly asking questions you're just mirroring back what you're hearing to help the person feel heard mm -hmm. but also in that you aren't necessarily offering anything up of your own it's exactly. like much more active and i think it's probably better than interrogating but it still lacks the who are you why am i talking to you specifically um feeling to it and i have found that the most connecting conversations i have are when it's when it's a back and forth with this like one really subtle detail where I think it's actually not just about like the ratio, it's about the ordering. So for instance, if I share something about like something going on in my life, the, I think that the, the thing that I find most connecting is when the other person like does a little bit of mirror to see that, that they're listening, explains a little bit, a bit about like their own relevant experience, but then continues asking me questions to let me um, 
keep processing unless I've like told them like, okay, actually like I'm, I'm good, but like I want to hear more about your experiences. So like the, the danger in sharing more about yourself is stealing the spotlight when the other person hasn't finished sharing. But I think you can usually counteract that just by like ending with a question and make it clear that you're still trying to put the energy back on the other person. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I converged on, what you're describing is. Yeah. Because I would, I would, a lot of the times I would just, if you said something, I don't know, about your childhood and some struggles that you were going through with your parents, and I related to that because I had a similar story, I would just say, I, re- I relate to that. Yeah. And just leave it there. This is the dance or the percentages, right? Like, yeah. there's that which is sharing like the most tiny possible amount that oh i relate to that yeah and then there's the other end of the spectrum where i share my entire story yeah of like that is related to your story but is entirely my story nonetheless um and then there's this happy kind of medium where yeah, yeah. instead i go a little further than just saying i relate i actually tell you why i relate i'll mm. be like you know i also like my parents said the same thing to me growing up and I might give a little bit more context around something that's related, but then I will stop there. I think the key is, in order to not steal the spotlight, is to make it very pithy. Mm. Like, keep it under, I try to, in my mind, I focus on keeping it under, like, 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah. Because I don't think anything longer than that, I tend to feel spotlight in terms of how long I'm talking mm. or how long the person is talking. So I've learned to just, like, you know, I'll say a little more than, oh, I relate to that or I really felt that because, like, you're like, okay, that's nice, but I don't know what that means. Yeah, right. Um, so I'll say a little more, but I'll try to minimize my airtime as a way to not steal the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's really cool that you've been able to dial it in. I also just really, really love that you call it dancing. Yeah. I like that too. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. And then just to also give more context, the reason why this is a, a struggle for me is because I've always been comfortable listening. I think sharing and being vulnerable with people has always been a struggle for me. And so this is kind of like, uh, combining the two in a way where I'm trying to stretch myself and becoming more comfortable with that, that sharing the vulnerability piece um, in a setting where it's not just binary. Is there a, was there a like stretchiest moment that you were stretched? Yeah. So the stretchiest part was like, all right, like I explicitly chose to do this thing where I express anger, but I'm like uncomfortable with anger in all forms. I'm uncomfortable giving it, I'm uncomfortable receiving it. So the part that was the scariest for me was when someone expressed anger in my direction. And I mean that in the most literal sense where they were actually doing it as a demonstration, but as in they were, they were explaining how in cer- certain circumstances they need to be very controlled in how they express anger. And they demonstrated this by facing me and saying something with a very clear but repressed anger in it. And it took me about two seconds to understand that that's what was happening, that to understand that it was a demonstration. And in that moment, I remember my whole body just like, I felt like my skin was tingling. And I was like, kind of like, oh crap, what did I do? And then my brain just like skipped a beat and just like, oh, it has nothing to do with me. But it was really interesting to watch my body respond so viscerally, even though this had nothing to do with me. And it was just an interesting demonstration to me on like how intensely attuned my body is to people expressing anger because this was a repressed version of it there was no shouting it was someone verbally expressing like i'm really angry right now and like that just like sent shivers down me so that was very momentarily scary so you had like a <laughs> moment after. yeah <laughs> yeah that's a great way of describing it okay 
All right, we're good. We're good. Everything's fine. So my body calmed down really quickly from that one yeah. because it was so brief. But it was like, huh, this seems like a thing I'm going to have to work on at some point. What does the panic feel like? I think the, the body sensation really, it really is like tingly skin. Like, like adrenaline, like adrenaline, yeah. Fight or flight. Exactly. Like it's, it's, uh, it's honestly very similar to jump scare feeling. Like just the whole body goes like, oh no. Like, and, uh, and similarly, like in jump scares, like once your body realizes, like, oh, it's like I'm playing the stupid flash maze game where I hovered over the thing and the scary face came out. Once your body's able to cognitively process what's going on, you calm down pretty quickly. And there's like this wave, this flushing wave of relief moving through the body. And then my mind was just like in that moment spinning, like what's going on? Like what happened? I'm trying to figure it out. And then once it realized the answer, then I was like, oh, okay, we're good. Wow. So your body is literally like, I think we're in danger, imminent danger yeah. right now. Yeah. Turn all the survival instincts on. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. So, so some like part of me during that moment, and even now, wonders like, how can I practice this? How can I practice this so that the next time there's an actual high stakes situation where someone's angry with me, I'm more, control because i can remember a couple instances in my life where someone was angry with me and i just like did not respond in the way that i wish i had responded and it's because with the adrenaline kicked up so high i felt this really intensity like i need to fix this somehow immediately rather than being able to think with a little more level head and think okay like what is what do i need to communicate right now what does this person need how can i address that without without like creating more conflict without um, saying things that I'm not going to want to stand behind later without sharing more than I want to right now. Because it was really clear to me that in that moment, my behavior would be really different than normal, even when I think it shouldn't be, when it's ex exposed to like anger at your face. Yeah. And there's at least two layers to that, I think. I mean, are, are you, you going to give me both layers? Are you going to choose one? I'm going to give you both and then focus on one. <laughs> I think the the way that you describe your response during anger makes sense just because the, I think one physiological side effect of adrenaline is like laser focus, mm. specifically laser, laser focus on survival. Mm. So it makes sense that in that moment you're like off tilt or tilted in a way and you can, all you can do is focus on how do I make this go away immediately. And so it makes sense to me that you don't have access to the full set of like skills that are like more cognitive in nature uh, and you fall back to some of like your more like literally evolutionary primal instincts to just like yeah. anger equals I might die so we need to remove that immediately do you feel like I'm also hearing though that you think that your this fight or flight response is kind of a like the magnitudes don't really match in terms of yeah. stimulus versus how viscerally you're responding. Do you think that's probably something that got like trained in you at some point or do you feel like this is how you've always been? I well, I mean, I think it's both. Like I think I've been like this since I was a kid. I cannot remember any point in my entire life where I'm in a situation where like one person is really angry and my response is like, "Yeah, this is fine." I've never felt that way. Same. The only situation where I have not felt like, oh God, I need to fix this immediately is when I'm, when I am also very angry. Um, Whoa, that's then interesting. I'm like, you know, it's because, you know, then I think it's because at that point, the, on the fight or flight spectrum, I'm on the fight spectrum. And at that right. moment, I'm like, I don't actually want to fight. So I'm not, I'm not going to engage with this, but like, there's nothing to do here. Like I just need to go calm down. Whereas like when I'm in the flight response, 
it is either like, I need to get out of here or I need to like, like neutralize the threat. Um, which usually means like figure out why the person is angry and get them to calm down ASAP. Yeah, that came up for me as you were just describing that actually. Maybe it's not entirely you. Like, mm. I'm imagining if there's a world where someone's like screaming at you, there's also like not really a world where you're going to have a productive conversation. And mm. this person is already like they're kind of on in a fight or flight mode themselves, right? Where they're, they've decided they're going to fight. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's interesting to, to poke at. Because, I mean, I have a similar aversion to whenever people are are angry. I just kind of, like, have this, like, ugh. Like, this is, it's, for me, it's kind of more like, oh, this is gross. Like, get, uh, me, like, get me away from it. Like, I clearly cannot engage with you right now if you're, like, if you're, like, going to scream and yell at me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this phrase that I was raised with of, like, like you're seeing red is yeah. coming up for me right now. Like, when a person's seeing red, they don't see anything else. So... I also have this visceral response in my, I'm like playing back some memories of like parents like fighting or yelling and I'm just like, oh, I want to get me out of here. Like, I don't want to be yeah. here. Yeah. Right. That kind of, that kind of response. Yeah. Interesting. I, the description of it being like a disgust response, it sounds like it's pretty visceral for you as, as well. Mine is definitely not a disgust response. It was not like, oh, this is gross. It was for me, it's definitely like, this is an emergency. Like this must be fixed immediately or I need to get out of here because this is not safe. This is an interesting tangent, but I think for me, I think underneath the disgust is also that like, I feel like these fights happen enough at home that I just had to like figure out a way to deal with it mm. internally. And definitely my defense mechanism here feels like the ostrich approach where I'm just going to like ignore it because yeah. it usually just goes away. Like I'm, in my mind, I just imagine wanting to like run to my room basically. Mm. Yeah, very classic classic response but i think it makes sense you're just like these two like there's like a, a, a fight going on i don't want to get caught in the crossfire i don't want to get dragged in i don't want to yeah. see people fighting this way it just feels like bad all yeah. around and i want to gtfo yeah cool. yeah but i also want to part of my brain you know just trying to calm myself down also wants to convince myself that it's gonna be fine which is like historically kind of true like you know parents figured their their conflicts out eventually maybe not in the most healthy ways but like they, they do and it's, you know they're they're still together still around so yeah life has shown me that yeah there's you know that's what's what i'm looking for like the rain thunderstorm does end and the sun does come back out but that it's it's really not great to be out in a thunderstorm and it gets soaked at minimum and then maybe struck by lightning <laughs> so best to uh get out of that situation yeah yeah hope you have not been struck with lightning too many times yeah yeah, yeah. well you know i'm still alive too so yeah you're all right yeah all right man i'm getting pretty tired so i think i'm ready to tap out all right seems good how are you feeling now kind of the classic physical energy down emotional energy up situation so physical like i don't know like three and a half emotional like seven seven and a half so like feel a little bit more just energized emotionally. It's really a cop-out thing when I just said my energy went up and then I started feeling energized. Um, I think engaged. I think interested, feeling more curious, a little bit like just in awe of the sheer complexity of human dynamics in like a positive, wow, the world is amazing kind of way. Yeah, part of me worries whether or not anyone else cares about the dynamics part because it does feel very meta. Yeah. You're like, 
talking about percentages of sharing and listening. And I'm like, does anyone else care about this stuff? <laughs> like, it's just how I think about it. But yeah, yeah, I think I'm like physically now at seven. Wow. Emotionally like an eight now. The emotional plus has dragged up the physical part too. Similar emotions, I think, appreciative of having the space, having someone to talk to that also gets it and is interested in the same way. Yeah, man. And appreciating how far we've come, this like the skills that we've been able to to gain, and also the the gap. The we've talked about how this is like an infinite skill ceiling kind of skill. So yeah. there's and just appreciating all of that. The yeah, and then anticipating, excited for the the future growth as well. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for us for today. Yeah. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll see you in two weeks. If you enjoyed this conversation, please help us by leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app. We would really appreciate it because it helps us grow and lets others find the show. When we're not podcasting, Kevin also makes YouTube videos. And Jamie has a blog. You can find links to these in the episode description. The intro music you heard in this episode was made by Harry Dye. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks.